Oh, I, I, Britain got zero points last night. Did you hear about that? Yes, I, I did actually see the the end of the um, of the the voting because um, we we heard that that uh, Britain was pas de point and turned it on to 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 see if it if it stuck out. Pas de point. So my attempt at saying no points in French. Oh, is pad the word for no in French? I mean, I don't speak French, so... I, I, I had thought that it was null point, but I, I, I checked on some translation services and got pad the point. Oh, um, I would so, null. Um, if I'm wrong, blame um, Tim Berners-Lee for inventing the internet and misleading me. First up, uh, we have a comment on Reddit from VulcanTrucky45 about Barrier Island Formation on uh, Google Maps time-lapse. So this is in reference to your video from a little while ago about coastal features. I mean, literally the last video. Not the last video. Cause I, I think released, so, yeah. The last released one since. Yeah, but like that's like the, the follow-up and the worst things I don't really class as like proper videos, not like mainline videos. The last mainline video was Coastal Harmony, I think. I'm pretty sure the coastal harmony, coastal landforms. Um, yeah, because if the last one that you released is coastal landforms, then I don't know what it was that I watched in preparation for this recording. <laughs> oh yeah, that counts as the last one. Sorry, <laughs> that is now finished. That project. I st- in my brain, I'm still like that project is still ongoing. Um, Artifact scene is now a time travel project. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in reference to your your coastal landforms video. Um, so uh, Vulcan says best place to check out the evolution of barrier islands is the Google Maps time lapse engine. Check out how much the spit south of Chatham, Massachusetts changes over the course of thirty years. So if we find uh, Chatham, Massachusetts on um, Google Maps, we can zoom in and see the the sandbar growing over over the time by quite a substantial amount. It's pretty interesting to see. Yeah, that's why uh, we stuck Falcon Trekkie's email in in the show here. It is it is insane. Um, it's there's there's so much movement, like, uh, and it's a really good visualization of people working with coastal landforms. Um, so it's a great resource. Uh, mm. People should go check it out. Hundred percent. Definitely. And the nuts thing is, I think we mentioned the last show. Like people build on barrier islands the whole time because it's like like waterfront property. And, you know, when you look at the time lapse, you're kind of like, all your houses are not permanent. Like, all your houses are going. And this is the time lapse runs from 84 to 2020. Like, that's not geological time. It's crazy. And it's just like, like <laughs> why we humans insist on living in the worst places is just, it's beyond me. Like, Because it's pretty. Because it's pretty. I know, I know the reasons, but it's just, it's just insane to think that uh, you may have to relocate your house. You know, you go, you go into building a house in the knowledge that it is not permanent and it will be relocated. That's just uh, such a mad thing to me. No, no, it's fine. When when the sea levels rise, you can just sell your house to Aquaman. <laughs> Big Atlantis. Uh, mm. It's going to rock up there and take all your real estate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but thank you, Vulcan Trekkie. That's a really cool resource and the links will be in the show notes. Uh, everyone go check it out. Definitely. Uh, now we got another thing. We got a thing an email here uh, about the Arthani Bill, uh, Peacock Moss. Uh, which, if that is a real name, that is class. Um, Peacock Moss wants to know a little bit about the Arthani specifically. Uh, they'd like to know how the Arthani keep track 
uh, of all their ships. Hmm. Um, I hadn't considered that. Thinking about it after getting this email, I'm not sure that they do in any kind of centralized way. Um, the the Urthani aren't a, a a centralized nation, and they're not a company the way that the Tamar are. Um, they're they're more like an ethnicity, and I don't think they were necessarily need to keep a centralized thing of all of their ships for it to be, um, for for this thing of of an attack on a ship to be an attack on the on the entire nation to be true, um. Mm-hmm. But in in kind of a smaller scale, uh, they they schedule um, journeys in advance, and you know there's there's kind of communication networks they carry around um, to each other and to the the places that they visit the 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 places on shore that they go to. Um, they carry around details of plans and schedules and routes. So that there's, you know, there's a reasonably good uh, idea of where people should be when. And there is a, a certain amount of, um, a certain ability to communicate across distances um, in uh, Ikern. Oh, how? Uh, that's the function of weirds on vessels. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Weirds. We had weirds many, many moons ago. It's been a long time since they cropped up in your writings. Uh, I thought they, they, they cropped up in the uh, in the hunt for the, the Earth Selk specimen. Did they? The ship's weird. Hmm. I think so. Hmm. Possibly. Maybe that was in an earlier draft and the, the weird didn't make it to the... Um, yeah, maybe, oh, looks like it didn't. I'm sure there were weirds in that. Anyway, but yes, that's 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 the function of weirds. Um in in uh in an airship at least so the the Urthani would have something similar so there'd be a limited capacity to communicate um across distances uh, peacock moss here speculates that the Urthani must have a large number of ships um comments on that true or not and also come a uh, question for me uh, are the Urthani a large group of people like are we looking at a a, a major ethnic majority here are they a minority or what sort of breakdown uh, they they wouldn't be a a majority no um in substantial minority a substantial minority I guess would would be it like in the the kind of the continent or the the area of the continent that we've looked at um where the the Abeski and kind of related cultures and ethnicities they would be the uh, most dominant um kind of towards the north there's other ones uh. In kind of the other provinces, obviously, there's the Hoitan and the Transolian that have have other ethnicities, um. But the the Arthani are kind of equally present in in, in nearly all of the areas there, mm-hmm. um, and further afield. So they they're they're quite widely spread out, um. I I mean I can't put a number on on how many ships they have, but I mean yeah, there there would probably be a lot. Okay. It would probably be a lot. Um, yeah, and then what else? Would we... Oh, yeah, and uh, at the very end, Peacock Moss mentions that uh, we should check out uh, the channel Hello Future Me. Uh, I second this. Uh, I'm going to stick a link to the show notes to Hello Future Me. Um, uh, T- Tim Hickson is the guy who creates it, and he has a really good video for uh, like quick and dirty um, naming languages for maps. 
um and it's really it's really useful and really geared at someone who is beginning the process of coming up with naming languages so Neat. yeah well worth the watch i'll stick that in the show notes thank you peacock moss <coughs> thank you peacock moss for sending in the email what else we got bill um, we have an email from Devin Beans. Devin, Be- I think Devin's been on the show before. I remember that that uh, surname Beans, Mister Beans. Um, and Devin is asking about floating islands. Uh, I was wondering how one of you would go about creating a realistic setting that involves floating islands, uh, islands that somehow float in the gaseous atmosphere of a planet. This could either be a gas giant with some land masses in its outer layers, or it could involve multiple levels of land masses, one at the surface and others floating above. Gas could even influence the terrain, creating seas and rivers that appear to be craters and ditches. Uh, yeah, any any thoughts on that, Edgar? So I think we talked a little bit about this way back in the day, but I just thought it would like, be cool to bring it up again. Um, I can't justify floating islands using science whatsoever. Um I think the two best scenarios that I find the most intriguing, um, although they involve a fair bit of hand-waving, uh, are the Avatar scenario, where the floating islands are justified because of magnetism, um, which obviously doesn't work. Uh, but it's kind of, I don't know, past Edgar's uh, disbelief was suspended something serious when watching Avatar, and they were told that these islands repel, uh, are they are repulsive with respect to the ground. And that made sense. Um, mm-hmm. in a suspended belief sort of way. So that's one thing you could kind of lean on, although you would be aping Avatar quite a bit there. And the other one is, I mean, it's not really floating islands, but you could maybe have a setting where um, the narrative of your of your story is taking place on a world that has been destroyed or and or in the process of formation. Uh, so it's not so much floating islands as a, like a bunch of floating debris closely orbiting a center of mass and you can also have all of your like uh, uh devon mentions um gas floating around the place that could be a protoplanetary disk type thing so you can kind of sort of get out of like that but obviously there's problems there because i'd be like if the planet has been destroyed chances are it's not going to be very habitable and if the planet is about to be formed chances are it's not going to be very habitable at all uh yeah but i like i don't know it depends on how hard and soft your your setting is um I, I think it could be a fun thing to exploit, but so those are the two that I think work. Uh, but in terms of strict science, like you're just you're just not. It's like stuff is going to stick together in the ball. Um, that's what's going to happen, and floating islands won't won't work. And there's no means of uh, having gases thick enough that will um, create floating rocks. Like you know, no matter how dense or how thick the gas is. It's, it's, it's rocks are going to fall through it. It's just that's that's what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, you're going to have to deviate away from science here, Devin, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, my, my thought was like something like tungsten hexafluoride, um, which I think is the, the densest gas under uh, normal conditions. Tungsten? Oh, sure, yeah. Tungsten as in like tungsten lights. Yeah, I was like, tungsten isn't gaseous. I was thinking of titanium. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're both metals, but yeah, there's there's tungsten hexafluoride, um, which has a, d- a density, it's 11 times heavier than air. Um, also, it's corrosive. Uh, that's fun. Um, and there's pumice stones, um, but like, you know, which float on water, but they're still like significantly denser than than 
tungsten hexafluoride. Um, so, I mean, maybe if, if things were on a, like a, a gas giant, maybe you could have a, a, a thicker nominal gas, but then it's going to be difficult to set stories there. Um, like, you, you won't have life-friendly or recognisable life-friendly uh, environments. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree. Um, yeah, tungsten hex, that's, that's really interesting. Tungsten hexafluoride and pumice ground, like that's a recipe for disaster. The ground just dissolves from underneath you on a near constant basis. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just hand wave. Like this is totally fine. This is one of those times where it's just like, forget the science. Um, just hand wave. And if there, particularly if there's a good narrative reason for having this, like if it's if it's symbolic uh, of something that you're trying to tell, then just just do it. Just do it. Mm-hmm. You don't need. You really don't need to justify it. It's grand. Uh, Devin, thank you for writing in. I hope that helped. It probably didn't because we just told you it didn't work. But you know, thank you for writing in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the last the last email we have comes uh, via Harry, uh, aka Trekkie one three five. And they wrote in uh, to tell us about their conlang that involves uh, initial consonant mutation, like in Irish and all the other Celtic languages. Um, I it's a very long submission, uh, so I'm not going to go through the details of that of it, if that's okay, Harry. But just just to say that what you've done sounds really naturalistic and really cool, and it it sparks joy. Uh, to see people conlanging with uh, Celtic structures in mind, because it's just you know, obviously, uh, yeah, uh, I really enjoy it. Um, yeah, I love initial consonant mutation. I think it's it, great. It's dope, and it's so, man, it's so weird. Like it's so weird. It's I love that we have this really weird thing um, around us and a part of our kind of culture. For <laughs> for those who don't know, for those who don't know, uh, in Celtic languages, um, depending on certain grammatical contexts. Um, various words can change their initial consonant um, and there's various me- mechanisms for this and various types but like a good example is the word for woman in Irish is ban uh, so B-E-A-N and if you put the definite article before woman uh, you get on van and so that's ban turns into van B-E-A-N turns into B-H-E-A-N and the whole reason why this came about, as far as I can tell, is that way back in like Proto-Celtic, the when you had the, the definite article and uh, a word like woman, um, there was like an intervocalic consonant cross word boundary. And that caused the consonant to be lenited to become softer. And all of the those word boundaries were like messed up with like sound loss, but the sort of the lenited consonant structure uh, stuck. So, like in Proto-Celtic, if I remember correctly, um, the woman is Sinda or Sinda Bena, uh, and that's and wow. th- thank you. I, I did a bit of pra- I, I tried to do make a conlang like what Harry has done, um, and that's why I know that. But yeah, Sinda Bena. So you have an A B A a cross word boundary there, and then they were like, oh, that's really hard to pronounce. So let's do Sinda Bena, but then Sinda whittled down to the word an. So we had on van and the, the thing just stuck. So it's kind of like, it's it's this weird sort of like, it's it's because of a thing that no longer exists. It's just bizarre. Mm. It's just bizarre. But anyway, thank you for that, Harry. Thoughts on Harry's email there, Bill? Um, 
Harry uh, tells us that uh, they are a student at the University of York studying linguistics and German, um, which greatly delighted me to see because I, once upon a time, studied uh, linguist uh, studied at the <laughs> University of York. Um, that's that's where I, I did my my masters um, in music. Although, and actually, you might not know this, Edgar, mm. I did apply to go there um, for my undergrad to study linguistics in German. Get lost, really? Yeah, yeah it was it was a place I I, I had I had in mind because after after school, before I repeated my final year of school, um, when I did it the first time round, I I was kind of thinking of studying linguistics in German, and then I repeated, and in my repeat year, I decided to to study music instead. Um, but wow. yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was that was neat to 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 hear from a, a fellow York student. Uh, say hello to the geese for me, please, Harry. Um, <laughs> the waterfowl of York. Oh, uh, do what a town. you know what? Okay, so I'm watching a program called The Last Kingdom at the moment. Uh, yeah, that's about the um, kind of the, the the Danes and the Saxons in England, right? Exactly. I'm, I'm not going to say too much about it because I'd like to actually talk about it in the green room. Uh, but just uh, unrelated to this <coughs> point, unrelated to the York thing, um, I have great crack while watching that program trying to interpret the like old English that they put on screen. So like, for example, uh, you know, there'd be a cut and then you'd be in this town and then on screen the word like loidis uh, would come up. And then I pause and I'm all like, what can that be in modern English? And then uh, I try and guess the names. And I'm quite good at it. Like, Loidis is Leeds. Apparently, it's the old mm. name for Leeds. Um, but there was one that I was like, this is crazy. And it's the old word for York. Do you know one of the old words for York? I mean, in, in what language are you asking me this? Uh, in the la- whatever language was spoken in York, predominantly around 800 AD. <laughs> Jorvik. Jorvik. No. So in, in The Last Kingdom, they have Airwitch. Mm, which I guess it comes from Jorvik. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. See. yeah. But I I was like, I, I saw that and was like, I, I would have been here till the heat death of the universe trying to, you know, form uh, the modern version of that. Because like, Loidis, Leeds, Lunden, London, Airwitch. <laughs> York, <laughs> so in Congress. Um, there is an interesting thing that that uh co- comes there. Um, so you know the way that witch is is often a, a, a suffix in um in English places. Yeah, it means village, as far as I know. Uh, it can do. Mm. Um, but there's a specific thing about it. Let me get the let me get this this right. So I know this specifically in relation to um, uh, Droidwich, um, and places around kind of the West Midlands. Um, that it comes from the the Hwicke Kingdom, who were kind of in their pre-Anglo-Saxon, I think, hmm. um, in in the the West Midlands, and it actually comes from salt. Oh. So, yeah, I, not, not obviously the word salt itself, but it's um, the, the that particle in the in the names um, is derived from the fact that the salt trade was was a, a strong kind of economy or a strong industry in that area. Wow. So, yeah. So I've been told. I, I, I probably have some of the details slightly off there, but it's, it's something like that. 
Um, hmm. Yeah, so the the Huitza is is the the name, not the Huitza, the Huitza. Oh, interesting. I was going to ask, was is that in any way related to the word Wiccan? But obviously not if it's Witcher. Um, yeah. Um, so I think that, that so that's just an interesting that it's it's also resulted in witch, but I think is probably not the same witch as in Ervich for York. Yeah, because the one I'm looking at the Wikipedia here page here, and the the witch in York is village according to Wikipedia, yeah. and uh, Wikipedia is never wrong. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I just I, I thought it was really fun. Uh, Airwitch, or I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Sorry, folks, but I was just like York. What? How even? Uh, that's it's crazy. Harry, thank you. York is a sorry. Just actually before the the thanks, York is a beautiful place. My God, yeah, it's great. Oh my God, York is like stunningly beautiful. I really enjoyed that short visit uh, I had with you up in York. It's um yeah, it's a great place. I did not enjoy that train ride up to York though from London. That was horrific. <laughs> it's like I had to take out a small mortgage to get up to York. Trains in England, man. I suppose trains in Ireland as well. They're just they're just shockingly expensive. I just if I may complain, sorry, I know no one wants to listen to me complain, but just I will complain slightly. I once got a train, I think from I think from Vienna to Graz in Austria. Mm-hmm. And that train cost me nine euro. Right? And that is unheard of in the Greater Silly Isles. Because like you go anywhere in the Greater Silly Isles on a train, even if it's short distance, and you're rid of an obnoxious amount of money. Like I think mm. to do I don't know a similar journey in Ireland, I think you're looking at maybe forty, fifty euro return, maybe. And what, like, what's the distance? I, I can't. To Vienna. I can't remember. I'll have to Google Maps. Like how long was the was the journey? I also can't remember. I slept because okay. I was on a. I was. Uh, I just come off a flight. Um, mm. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We go. Grats. Now maybe it, it could well have like gone up over time because um, it's been many years. I'd say about a decade since. Yeah, I've it's made been about ten drink. years. I'd say. Um, Graz to Vienna is two hundred kilometers by. That's by car. Hold on, by train is uh, it doesn't actually give you. It's going to be massively different. It's not massively different from like the likes of where I am to Dublin in Ireland, and like yeah. you know you're looking at a forty fifty quid train mm. uh, journey and it's just it's just insane and the trip up to york was the same thing like I, i'm pretty sure i paid nigh on three figures to come up and see you and i was like what is this this is oh, thanks man oh yeah no but you're worth it man <laughs> you're you're worth three figures <laughs> not four not four three figures not, low, not four. Low, low three low three bill come on um <laughs> but yeah, yeah york is beautiful and uh thanks for writing in the email harry uh and thank you for conlanging uh Celtic languages. It's hell yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Um, more appreciation for the Celtosphere. It's great. Um, so what else we got? Uh, oh, I believe that's the end of follow up. I think that is all the follow up done. Uh, so let's go into main topic. Let's do it. Shall we start with world building or <coughs> with uh, vowel harmony? Uh, your choice. Oh, Jesus. But the pressure bill. Oh. Uh, let's start, just because it's first in the show notes, let's start with some world building. Okie doke. What have you got? Give us a brief synopsis and then synopsis and then uh, launch into it first, Bill. What do you got for us? Uh, I have a... Uh, we have returned to Icairn. Mm-hmm. And we've returned to the Tamar Company. And once again, this is a letter. Shock horror. Presenting some new business opportunity. Oh, okay, cool. 
Dear Lalani, Have you received the latest round of reports from the Transolian office? The news contained therein brings us both joy. The mining unrest threatened last season has largely been quelled, thanks in no small part to your advice on disrupting the seditious networks formed within the worker population. Allow me to gift you a cask of brandy upon our next meeting, which I pray will be soon. It is with another matter that this letter is concerned, however. I wish to bring to your attention an innovation undertaken these past few seasons, one that has proved unexpectedly successful in Transolian, and suggest to you how we may begin to implement it domestically. As you are aware, in this province, the needs of company security have largely become united with those of domestic order and peace. The company provides in all aspects of life in these remote, hard settlements, and this is no exception. Absent bailiffs and sheriffs, it falls to the company to protect not only our trade and interests, but to ensure safety of our workers and maintain orderly towns. The success of our company security in protecting the camps has been such that the handful of non-company Abeski settlements in Transolian, and even some native towns, have sought contracts with the Transolian office in providing similar services. These arrangements have been mutually satisfactory. The region has reported significantly reduced banditry, safer travel, more peaceful settlements. All the contracts issued last year have been renewed. According to the intelligence of my office, no other companies have pursued such an expansion of security. Before they capitalize on our innovations, I have a suggestion. We should attempt to apply this model, proven successful in distant provinces, in domestic lands. You have no doubt many thoughts in response to this proposal. I am not submitting this to you without significant investment of consideration, and thus will endeavour to tackle your reactions as best I can, given the benefit of my experience in Transolian and my familiarity with the idea. Firstly, you will no doubt protest that these responsibilities are currently the purview of municipal bailiffs and appointed sheriffs, and attempting to replace them would likely be met with significant resistance from these established authorities. I can foresee one strategy to overcome this difficulty. As the needs of the company grow closer to the needs of the municipal authorities or to the economic prospects of smaller towns, we can represent that it will be more efficient for the company to take care of these civil needs. Further, we can offer the authorities contracts that are cheaper than the current costs of maintaining their own forces, while also offering greater pay to the bailiffs and militia. Established relationships with existing authorities will be of utmost importance in attempting this expansion. Chief Bailiff Bowron in Lansk, for example, may be particularly amenable to such an arrangement, given adequate encouragement. For more remote areas, the free agents that currently service those outlying settlements can easily be hired or, failing that, undercut by competitive contracts. This strategy is by no means complete, and some resistance is still to be expected, but our difficulties will be greatly lessened. Secondly, the military commission may object to the increased use of force in the domestic provinces, due to the reaction this may provoke from our commercial rivals. This problem is not so easily addressed. There are fewer precedents upon which we can predict outcomes. The clear commercial benefits, both primary and secondary, will be important for convincing the Commission's more conservative minds 
of the value of this strategy. These are the primary objections, I believe, but I invite you to consider further benefits of this arrangement, beyond the immediate financial returns. The company already has a great wealth of experience in many of the required skills. The records of the company's military and security is exemplary, and held in high public esteem. Further, our scouts are well equipped to deal with many of the more specialised demands of the remote settlements, where bandits and dangerous elements may seek refuge in the hinterlands. Greater security in domestic trade can only benefit all offices of the company. Upon assuming responsibility for those services currently provided by the existing authorities, we can be assured of great returns for many years to come, and at prices under our sole control. Public confidence in existing authorities is never secure. This may be swayed in a favourable direction by our broadsheets. The reputation of the independent agents and bounty hunters is even lower, and the company's vaunted discipline, reliability and uniformity will stand in stark contrast to those services currently offered. Please give this proposal consideration, and discuss it with our colleagues where you deem prudent. It is my sincere wish to return to Zhikav before the end of the season, where I may both discuss with you this plan and deliver to you that promised keg of brandy. Yours in prosperity, Eritha C. Egaren, Commercial Subdirector, Transolian First Depot, Tamar Company. Right, that was really nicely read. There's like two slip-ups there. Thank you. Other than that, that was really fluent. That was great. I wish I had your ability to read on the fly. I I, I gave it one read-through there in 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 the the break, which yes. which helped a little, and I and I I gave it like kind of two two readovers for for editing just to to help the flow. Yeah, man. But like, if it were me, I'd have to memorize the piece in order for it to like flow brilliantly. I read like a two-year-old. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, oh, we're back to our old enemy. Capitalism is the uh, is the enemy of the setting. Fun times. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, talk to me about it some more, and then when you're done, I'll do the usual and give you some of my highlighted points. So, um, the idea here is that the Tamar Company have stumbled on the idea of privatized policing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, they've kind of skipped over the existence of civil policing as we actually understand it, to be honest. That that, that doesn't even ex- quite exist yet. Um, and they have skipped straight to, to privatisation of, of the police. Um, uh, can I interject here? Sorry, real quick. Because yeah. uh, this is one of the things I was going to ask about. I get privatised policing. Like that, you know, the corporation provides security. Uh, civil policing is where the government provides security, correct? Yeah, yeah, like kind of what we would see as the norm, yeah. Right, and then, but what's the system currently in place then? Because they mentioned bailiffs and stuff, would they not be employees of some sort of central government? Yeah, but they're not, so they're not police in a kind of a modern sense that we'd understand. Um, oh, Like right. in a kind of a, a Pelian sense, that it would be something a little bit older like that than that, like kind of a, a more kind of pre-Victorian sort of sort of arrangement where there, there would be people who would deal with, with crime, but it's not kind of quite modern policing. Right, but these people would still be hired by some sort of central authority. Well, yes. Uh, so, um, 
like in in larger towns in in and in the cities uh there would be bailiffs and militias um which would be controlled by the the city government and they would probably have some remit over the surrounding area um smaller settlements would have uh, appointed sheriffs um and like like village councils and things who mm-hmm. who would deal with things as they came up deal with problems as they arose neighborhood watch yeah kind of <laughs> kind of like that community organization yeah yeah um it, they wouldn't really be um jobs necessarily it would it would kind of vary from place to place there, there isn't a single kind of system and you've got to remember the the abeski they don't have the concept of the state in the same way sure um so there isn't like a, a a national government that would have uh things like policing or law enforcement or you know those kind of concepts as part of their of their remit because they don't exist and th- that makes sense why civil policing was kind of skipped over then yeah exactly yeah, good. exactly cool. because like the, the concept of the state isn't the same yeah sure exactly um yeah so they they kind of invented this this idea that they can they can replace such um existing authorities as exist with the company um and that the the company will provide this because it is they can portray it as to the benefit of of the cities and obviously it's to the benefit of the company um and also it is a colonial model that has been reimported so they 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 see what works um in the the areas that they are colonizing and they bring those skills and apply them uh, domestically yeah is that is that weird in terms of like uh real life like because i have that highlighted and i kind of think it'd be really odd like i i was thinking of like yeah some sort of colonial uh, entity going around and enforcing these draconian privatized police on others but then it seems really strange for for them to turn around and also do the same to themselves that seems odd does that occur irl but they're not doing it to themselves they're doing it to other abeski all right but but like i mean all right okay okay fair enough so you know, the, the idea being that wherever the ceos of the tamara company live don't undergo this correct no it it, it where they live it, it's it is applied there but it's not going to apply to them Okay, okay, okay. So they're fine with it because they're outside of yeah. the law, so to speak. Right, and that's why like, they're okay. Like, pol- police bat and charge strike breakers. They don't, they don't bat and charge shareholders. Sure. In real life. <laughs> sure, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Okay, because I was wondering, like, why on earth would you want that to occur? Like, I totally get that tomorrow company would be all like, let's just subjugate everyone else. But it'd be weird to be all like, hey, you know those practices we've been using to subjugate people? Let's apply them to our own cities and mm. that seems but yeah, I suppose if you are outside the law then you don't care you're fine um, yeah and, and and I think there is kind of some historical precedent for this of using things learned um colonially uh and applying it to to domestic policing um like I think there, there is kind of it comes home um you know what what your what your your enforce or what your colonial enforcers do abroad those skills get retransferred back sure in in real life sure that makes sense yeah um yeah well any pros to like so like i see privatized police as being just a universal bad um 
is there any pros at all to this, both in setting and IRL? Like, what would advocates of privatised policing say is a pro for this? Are there advocates um, of privatised policing? <laughs> I'm sure there are. Uh, I mean, the the reduced costs to the state hmm. is the, is probably the main thing. Um, you know, you want to reduce reduce spending, and therefore you can reduce taxes. I think would probably be the the number one. Hmm. Um, you want the state to do as little as possible would be the would be the argument. Hmm. Okay. And if someone else can, if the private sector can provide it more efficiently, um, and as they say here, that that's that's one of the things outlined here. Um, uh, a few paragraphs in is that they could offer um, greater uh, pay. They they could pay more to the people doing the work, um, and it would be cheaper for the for the the government. Um, they can offer greater pay because of kind of economies and scale and stuff. Sure. Um, they they have a a larger organization over a larger area, and they can leverage kind of efficiency out of that. Um, I, I think those would be the main things in terms of actual outcomes. I'm not sure there are any. Okay, and uh, I mean, there there could potentially be things that you know you can you can access resources that would be not um, affordable for uh, public bodies, but I mean, realistically, it's always going to decisions are going to weight shareholders more than they're going to weight the yeah. effective carrying out of the job. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, do you foresee? Sorry, we kind of have gotten into my points here. Um, no, it's okay. The uh, do you foresee this taking hold? Um, because I mean, the the writer asks the person to like consider it and things like that. Do you think um, the per the 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 recipient of the letter will take it on consideration and then back it, or do you think it, or do you think it's more complex than that? It is. It is complex. Um, there's. As 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 she points out, the the military commission might object, um, because there's a blurring in what's being proposed here. There's a blurring of what is security and what is military. Like if you're going after, um, a, you know, a smuggler, um, in these terms, that's actually just a rival, a a, a business rival, um, yeah. And you know, at what point does that stop being enforcing of your rights and what does it become a military violent action? Um, but again, from but she's writing to another uh, like uh, capitalist member of the Tamar company, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so surely they'd just be all like, well, who cares? Like, as long as it makes better book for me, I don't care if it's a, a blurring yeah, but of like, military and police. Sure, but... I. Uh, the, the issue isn't a moral one. The issue is that this is a problem that may harm the business. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, suppose- it's 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 not like oh no, we can't we can't cross this line, um, because that line is sacrosanct. The issue is if we cross this line, that is a a difficult parameter to control. We don't know how the other companies will react. Um, we, you know, we can't necessarily see how that will affect the affect the business. Right, yeah, and the the Tamar company might think that they could use this as a a tool to wield uh, profit and power, but then just as easily they could have their profits and power diminished by this tool that they've set up. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes. And that makes sense. Uh, to be fair, I'm sure there are there are 
there are members who would view the the thing as a as a moral issue, like the um, among the military commission, they would see that that is not part of their job and it is not part of the the function of of the 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 company forces. Um, but for the two people involved in this letter, it's it's not a it's not a moral issue. Seeing as we're already sort of talking about politics, uh, can I bring up a politics thing relating to policing in the real world? Uh, you can, yeah. Yeah, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, we'll, let's all try and keep it civil. Uh, chat, I'm looking at you. No, no, you're great, chat, don't worry. Um, the, the, you know what blew my mind? It blew my mind. I only learned this, like, I'd say maybe a couple months ago. Uh, apparently, in the US, police are not, like, their mandate is not to protect the citizenry. Their mandate is to enforce laws, which seems like the same thing but like it's it's radically different and mm. i i learned that and i was like that's insane so like, like a police officer could like rock up at a situation and you know someone is being harmed for example they can just go it's not my business and like they're le- they be legally entitled to just like not intervene or whatever because their mandate is not to protect citizens their mandate is to enforce laws and then i thought to myself is that the case here? So I had a I had a quick goo at the at our constitution uh, constitu- constitution Jesus Christ our, our, at our constitution and like it's explicitly written in our constitution that they're there to protect uh, the peace and the citizenry and it's just it's so crazy that that one little bit of legalese can radically change how an institution functions and it mm. breaks my brain Radiolab if I can find it I'll link it in the show notes Radiolab have a great episode on this and you can hear the presenters in this episode go through the thought process of like wait what they're not here to protect us but I thought they were and like apparently that it only kind of works if just if we leave aside the idea of um, you know institutionalised racism just for a second it's an important one but just leave it aside for the um, purposes just of this making this point just of making this point exactly um, the, the only way they assert the radio lab asserts that the US police system like works in, you know, that's problematic the word works there but again go with me is because operates operates is because there's a sort of innate want of people to protect each other because so again there's no legal mandate for them to protect the citizens but you know a lot of officers and a lot of police people will be like no it's my job to protect my community you know which is a thing that they've that they've just kind of decided is good to do but it's not legally mandated mm. uh, but again now we bring back the institutionalized racism and that scuppers the whole thing uh, but it's just it's just kind of nuts that like the protection of citizenry is left up to the whims of the individual in the United States policing system, apparently, according to Radiolab. And that blew my mind. <laughs> I can't believe that. Like, that's just so insane. Like, uh, yeah, that's just what I, I just wanted to bring that up. I, I wouldn't say that in practice, the, the Irish police do protect the, 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 the people um, over enforcing the law, to be honest. <laughs> no, I, no. I wouldn't say that's how it actually works here. There's, there's a yeah, the, for sure. There's a difference. But I mean, you're, you're, you're pointing out that there is a, there is a function, a, a, a coded difference. There, there is a, there is a, a legislative or whatever difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, so at least in Ireland um, and other countries that have this legislative difference to uh, respect to the US, you could, you could see a path, a path to bringing officers to justice by 
pointing the constitution at them and be like your job is to protect us and you didn't in this instance whereas that path i feel like doesn't exist in the states because you wave the constitution at them and they can easily say yeah we were upholding the law like we didn't protect you but we were Mm. upholding the law like because there's a coded difference there that leads to that can lead to in practice very different outcomes to the same situations Mm-hmm. Um, but again, obviously, like you point out, yeah, like, I mean, uh, people and institutions are flaws and flawed and corrupted and, uh, you know, what ostensibly people are meant to do, they often don't do. Um, but I still think it's an interesting code of difference in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyhow, that was my little politics corner when I grabbed. I'm sorry if people are really annoyed at me. <laughs> did you know? I, I've got something semi-related. Okay. More politics. Did, did you know in the United Kingdom, it's legal for the police to break the law? It is legal for the police to break the law. Yep, the police the police can 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 break the law. Hmm. Is there a, is there some sort of addendum on that? As in, so there's like, there's an act. It, it's it's effective as of um, March of this year. It's called the Covert Human Intelligence Sources Act. The, the co- COVID. Covert. 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 Okay. And the, the the premise of it is that police can be protected from prosecution for criminal acts that uh, if it's undertaken to protect uh, intelligence or to, to, to protect an, an investigation and if it's deemed necessary for for an investigation. Um, oh, no. No. So, I mean, no. there there are there are nominal safeguards there, but there, a, a, a door has been opened that they could break the law and and not suffer consequences for it. Um, which is obviously the kind of thing that happens anyway. And it's 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 um it's extended not just to the the police, um, but also to any of the intelligence agencies. It makes sense. They were obviously that is what intelligence agencies do anyway. Mm. Um, also, the crime agency, the, the serious fraud office, all these law enforcement things, um, the environmental agency, the financial conduct authority, the food standards agency, and the gambling commission. The gambling wait. So the gambling commission can break the law. So it- someone working for the gambling commission can break the law. If it and it can be deemed necessary for an investigation, and they can get away with it, and there can be like no no charges for it. Wow, is this is yeah. this thing being met with great opposition in England, or is it just like is it going through? Without... Oh no 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 no! This is in effect. Oh, it's in effect. Oh, Jesus this, this 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 came into effect in March. Oh, that's so that's so draconian. That's so I don't like that at all. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> wow. That's yep. Good. Good God. Oh, that's 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 horrific. That is horrific. Um, but again, I suppose, like you say, these things happen anyways. Um, not to say that it's justified in bringing this law, but it's yeah. I suppose it's good good to remind oneself that, like, in a country like Ireland, for example, who doesn't have such a law, it's not like those things don't happen. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. Sure. It's um, just it's just scary that it is now protected by legislation. Exactly. There, it's it's coded. It's hard coded. You can wave that bit of paper, and that can lead to some bad things happening. That's yeah. That's insane. Do you know? Do you know what's another insane thing about the about the UK? <laughs> while, you tell. While we're talking, they their their constitution is unwritten. 
That's yeah, insane. Yeah. That's nuts. Like that's just yeah. Nuts. I find that mad. I just I think that's the most crazy thing ever. Like how oh, like they have a constitution. It just no one wrote it down, and it's like great world building. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it is great world building. Give them that. It's just it's just it's just nuts. Like it's absolutely nuts. Uh, anyhow, Tamara Company, back to this. Back uh, to this. <laughs> Politics corner. Um, yeah. Anything else that you have? Sorry, because I, I totally interrupted your your train of thought there with my no, questions. Okay. Is there anything it's else you were going to add on your train? Of an an organic conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was kind of inspired by this actually by um, by uh, playing Red Dead Redemption Two um, yesterday uh, huh. because I was I was thinking like because there's like bounty hunting stuff in that and I was thinking how that works and. You know, you the way that they dealt with criminals there was some guy could just go and catch them and bring them back. Um and and with the way Ikern is, or this this region of Ikern is, um there are large areas that are you know, don't have a lot of infrastructure and there's large empty areas between the the big cities. Um so I figured, you know, that's probably something that they have there. And that's that's uh, what grew out of it. Those are the the free agents and the the independent agents that that are referred to in the letters is people who who do stuff like that. I that was another one of my points. Good God, you've you've gone through all of my points. Brilliant. That is insane. I like all I've left on my points are uh, like clarifications and definitions. That's mental. That never happens. Oh, um, so, uh, yeah, do you, do you want to ask me some of those? Uh, yeah, just for people who may be new to the show, uh, do you want to just uh, give a definition here of, like, trans office, who they are, what they do, where have they appeared? Sure. So, uh, the Tamar Company is a is a kind of a, a large commercial uh, and somewhat colonial trading company in the manner of the Hudson's Bay Company or the East India, etc. Um... And the it is divided into offices that, that have responsibility over different geographic areas. And the Transolian office is in a um, Transolian is a province to the east of the the kind of the home of of the Abeski people. The Abeski people is is the the culture that that these these companies uh, grew out of, um, or the ethnicity, um. Uh, so the Transalian, yeah, is, is to the to the east. The domestic provinces would be uh, covered by the western, eastern, and southern office. Mm. Um, that's kind of what they're talking about when they say the the domestic lands, uh, the the kind of the homelands of the of the Abeski ethnicity. And then the uh, the mining unrest threatened last season has largely been quelled. Uh, recap on the mining unrest. Um. If that's something we covered, that that hasn't that isn't something we've covered before. But ah. just in in Transalian, there was kind of labour agitation um, recently, and the, uh, the the this the, these people obviously they discussed it. Uh, Eritha and Lilani discussed it, and Eritha, uh, Lilani gave advice on how to uh, disrupt the the agitators' networks. Um, and and prevent that unrest from from becoming too disruptive to trade. Um, a bunch of radical abeskis snuck into the Bitcoin mining warehouse and broke a heap of GPUs. 
<laughs> something like that. <laughs> something like that. Um, less of a clarification. Well, I suppose it's still a clarification. Uh, seasons. The word you use for seasons here. Um, not the word you use for seasons. Sorry. You use the word seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, define. Uh, is a season like a year? Is a season like a, a climactic thing? Or is it like a sort of like a, a, a social thing a la Bridgerton? <laughs> it, it can be used both ways. I think like return by the end of the season is kind of more of a, of a social one. Um, but like they're, they're it, it means kind of period of time. It can it can be applied in a few different ways. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, and that is... Uh... Hold on, hold on. And then, uh, do you have any sort of quick bio on Iritha Tsiegaren? Not yet, no, but I feel like I'm going to do more with them. Okay, cool, cool. And that is all my points. Cool. The big enemy is capitalism. I loved the last show. I think you were all like, uh, you said something to the effect of like, I had intended on having... Uh, like antagonists or something, but it turned out the capitalism was the antagonist. And I thought yeah, was... monsters, because it's planetary romance, so I intended to have like monsters in it and just... You know, <laughs> Tur- yeah, it turns out the monster is capitalism. That's what Corporate you said. avarice is the real monster. <laughs> that was a great little soundbite. It was wonderful. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. Man, well played. Really well played. Um, I enjoyed, and I'm envious of your uh, ability to both read and write so competently. Thank you. Um, right. Vowel Harmony. Let's do it. So I just released a video uh, yesterday, as of the time of recording, um, called Vowel Harmony. And I have points and views. But as always, Bill, have you watched it? What are your points and views? I have watched it. I have taken a a few notes. Um, what did I say here? So you said that the, the four kinds of, of harmony are backness, roundness, height, and tongue root. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever get tone or pitch harmony in tonal languages? Look at you anticipating the points I'm going to make. Well, we are we are so in sync today. We are on <laughs> fire. Our cycles have aligned. Um, <laughs> the, the yeah, so you don't get uh, as far as I'm aware from what I've read, uh, you don't get tone harmony um mainly because uh i suspect this is my speculation here linguists point out if i'm wrong um tone is used uh when tone emerges it's used to differentiate meaning so having harmony occur would like uh you'd lose meaning you know yeah Um, tone is a much more semantic element Sure, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so you don't get that. Uh, what was the other one you said? Pitch. Pitch harmony. But that's the same sort of jazz. Yeah. Um, you also don't get one that I, I didn't bring up because I was kind of aiming at sort of like, here are the, the, the big ones. Like, I don't want to go into the nuance. Uh, you don't really get length harmony is another one. Um, yeah. That's not really a thing. And I can say that with confidence because that's explicitly stated in one of the sources that's linked in the document in the description of the video. And they just outright say length harmony is not attested in natural languages. Um, yeah, you do get, uh, on the, uh, as a, as a, as a follow on point, uh, you do get a thing called rhotic harmony, uh, which is really rare uh, and possibly, I'm unsure, but possibly currently extinct as in like it recently died out. Um, mm. I think like as of t- like 
really recently, like as in like as of like 2014, something like that. Um, but the idea being that like if there's a rhotic sound in a root and a rhotic sound is like the way you'd say English people say like, or not, maybe maybe not English people, but the way you'd say like car when you don't have a er sound at the end, like car or whatever. It's like right. a, it's like a vowel with like a flavoring of an or sound, but not a proper or sound. Um, if such a sound appears in a root, then the suffixes also must be rhotic vowels. Um, but that's immensely, immensely rare. Um, it was pointed out by a number of commenters who were kind of like, you forgot rhotic harmony. And I was like, I, yeah, I definitely didn't forget it. I just didn't want to bring it up because it is so rare. Uh, yeah. And the other one that's commonly brought up in this discussion, which I didn't, is nasal harmony. And that's where uh, if you have a nasal sound, either a nasal vowel or a nasal consonant in a root, um, most often uh, suffixes and prefixes will also agree in nasality. Didn't bring that one up because, to my mind, that's an example of vowel consonant harmony and not vowel harmony. Yeah. So it's beyond the remit of the video. That kind of makes sense, although there's, there's a, there is a little bit of kind of what seems like it would lean towards vowel consonant harmony, where you talk at the end about um, back consonants, preferring back vowels. Uh, yeah, but that's not really a harmony thing, that's like a sound change thing. Okay. Which we, uh, we get into the grey area real quick, which we'll top on in a second, where like, when is a thing a harmony and when is a thing not a harmony? Mm. Um, that's just, I think that's just a, a sound change sort of thing. Um but it's it's more that it's more that uh, in a nasal harmony system, like the both a vowel or a consonant can be a trigger of harmony, whereas in the with the example in the video of the back consonants, that's just a sound change conditioned by their existence. They're not they don't trigger harmony across the entire word. Oh, okay, um, yeah. So oh yeah, because yeah. that's more to do with evolution than it is to do with yeah. yes, gotcha, yes, yes, gotcha. yeah. Um, all right, point one. What's your second point? Um, dominant recessive harmony. So that means that harmony isn't applied to a word at all unless a certain feature is in the word. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Point three. If or a tree. Um. So I'm pretty sure. Um. I have this right, but you say something about about uh stress. Yes. Um, does that mean like sonic emphasis? I assume it means sonic emphasis, not like semantic emphasis. Uh, yeah, no, like as in where, does, like where stress falls, like as in like phonologically stressed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah just, just checking. Um, because it, it did occur to me that, uh, I guess this will be very difficult to do unless it's like a highly kind of agglutinative language or you don't use word domain or something like that. But it could be interesting if the the bit that you wanted to emphasize in the, like the semantic emphasis you wanted in, in the, the utterance was the one that triggered harmony. That could be kind of interesting. Um, like like if you had a clausal thing, like in Somali, I point out where the whole clause needs to be in harmony. The word that is stressed, uh, like as in you went to the shop, shop triggers the harmony for the whole clause. Like that's ex- sort of Exactly that kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> that would be absolutely bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> and just because Hungarian came up earlier in the video and Hungarian has a really interesting thing about the semantic emphasis, doesn't it? Like what you what you want to emphasize in the meaning of the sen- uh, sentence. Does it all? Literally, all I know about Hungarian is its vowel harmony. I know nothing uh, beyond that. Yeah, let let me look this up real quick. So, w- word order is not determined by syntactic roles, but rather by pragmatic factors. And emphasis is placed on the word or phrase immediately before the finite verb. 
Um, yeah, so it's like a, a, I'm assuming then it's like a topic focus type jazz. The thing you want to draw attention to, you you shove it to a prominent position. Uh, yes, that's not yes. Hungarian is a topic prominent language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of because Hungarian was mentioned. That kind of made me think about the the um, the emphasis thing. Um, it, it was really sorry. Just on on Hungarian, real quick. I spoke to a mutual friend of ours in research for this video. Oh. Um, who, oh yes yes yeah uh our hungarian singer friend and uh because th- with the neutral vowel bit when i talked about hungarian um there was uh people on the patreon discord reached out to some hungarians and they reported back that my section on the neutral vowels was just wrong it just didn't happen which like directly conflicted with the, the source material i was reading uh, and so i was like oh well let me reach out to another native speaker and see what they say and so i skyped with this person and it's just it's really fun to interrogate native speakers about how they talk like it's it's so interesting getting people to talk about how they talk because like uh this person has never and he's he admitted this uh and opened up straight away about it like he's never thought linguistically about hungarian like it's just a thing he speaks and it's really cool to like present people with examples and be like what are your thoughts about this and some of the immediate reactions to some words you throw at people draw you can draw very very interesting um ideas and perceptions it's just really fun like i because it was the particular example i'm thinking of is i i put the hybrid vowel bit to him the the fotel neck and fotel knack uh, thing that's in the video and you could see a real conflict in him he was like they both kind of work but i prefer one and i don't know why and it's just, <laughs> it was just really really interesting to uh to to hear that um yeah i felt like a real like linguistic like uh investigator it was really fun <laughs> massive thanks though to to our mutual uh, hungarian friend who's not listening to the show at all but just you know in the off chance he is um <laughs> you without without you that part would have not existed i would have cut it um but you kind of confirmed to me that this is a, a thing that does happen but there is considerable variation among speakers so thank you um direct comp- uh, contribution to the video um right if we're uh, four um, well, this this is kind of actually just occurred to me now. Um, we can consider it number four. Um, do you ever have a situation where a word is split up um, in in the the structure? So what I'm thinking of directly is uh, German and separable verbs. Mm-hmm. Um, so abbrechen. that the, ich etwas, ich etwas ab. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that you've got like app is still part of um what do you say abbrechen was that the verb used? Abbrechen, yeah. Was bedeutet abbrechen? Uh to to break off, to break something off. Right. So do you ever have a a situation where you would have the the harmony for the brechen and the app like the different particles oh. that are split up but not the bit that's in between? That is very interesting. I am going to say no. Okay. <laughs> but that didn't come up at all. So I'm going to say no because it didn't come up. But that's yeah. very, very interesting. Yeah. In Actually, in, in that situation, is app a word 
or is it a clitic or what do oh, the count as? Oh, stop. I, pfft, I'm terrible at this. I don't know. I, pfft, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, a, it's a thing. It's a secondary verb, maybe. I don't, pfft. I'm going to text the linguist real quick and, and ask them. Um, Wait, hang on. You know linguists IRL? Yeah. Oh, man. Here, can I get that contact information off you? I'm constantly looking to, <laughs> to talk to linguists and to confirm something. Uh, I guess <laughs> I didn't realize at all. That's if if uh, please ask this person if they'd be open to perhaps uh giving me their number uh and for me to perhaps on a bi monthly basis text them questions. Um, I I mean I know I I know a few. Um, <laughs> man, do I think this would have been like important information to give me at some stage? <laughs> I mean, I could have just assumed that it had come up at some stage. It totally didn't. That's great. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, that's actually really good to know because sometimes I sometimes I I want to go on to like um or slash linguistics and ask questions, but I always feel really bad because it's like I'm asking online questions on a linguistics forum, and there's always times where I'm kind of like I just wish I had a linguist friend who I can come to as a friend to be like, hey buddy, what do you think of this? Without annoying linguists at large. Um, Jesus man, if I could leverage some of your friendships there, that'd be great. Okay, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've, I'm sure if I thought about abbrechen a bit, I'd be able to come up with something. But in general, I'm terrible at remembering what the hell bits are called. Um, bits of words are called. Fair enough. If we're a cooig, if we're um, a fimph. What have we got down here? Uh, I like, I like the chapter formats that you've got going on in the videos. I know that's not like new to this video, but it's relatively recent and I enjoy it. It is um, it is largely that has become solidified as a consequence of YouTube allowing chapters in their timelines and that yeah. is so good for educational content. Like finally people can like skip to the bit precisely that they want. Um so yeah, I've doubled down heavy on the chapters thing. And also also behind the scenes, it's way easier to write if you divide things up into chapters. You just there's less transitions to write, and it's yeah. great. <laughs> you know me; I like formal structures in 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 my media, Edgar. You do, you do. I do. I, li- I like I like the time to be to be divided in in comprehensible ways. Um, Bill Bill Sonata form all the time, McGrath. <laughs> <laughs> Not just Sonata form. Um, what else have we got down here? Evolution. By definition, it's original. Um, I can't remember what that was about. I think it was when you were developing your your your. Um, oh yes, it was when you were developing your your uh, harmony system, and you said by definition it won't. Or you said you said um, it won't be super original, but it, it was original because you were making a new one. It was original. Yeah, but it's it's like it's not like I've come down from Mount Sinai or whatever with like God given knowledge or whatever. It's just like I've repurposed a lot of what is out there into something that I thought made more sense. Uh, I guess because the thing, um, just, uh, the thing on this story, if I may elaborate a little bit more, um, vowel harmony always frustrated me because uh, in in the linguistic literature, uh, the, that which I've been exposed to, uh, very little is ri- written about where vowel harmony comes from. And that's just infuriating yeah. if you want to ask students a question of how do I evolve it. And then also in the conlanging sphere, I don't mean to throw shade here, so I, this is not me being snarky. Um, chat. <laughs> Looking at you. Um, no, the uh, in the conlanging sphere, 
I always found it very unsatisfactory what was said about foul harmony because you know the extent of how to implement it was very often um, summarized by stuff like oh vowel harmony is a process of, of assimilation so just just go ahead and do that and you're like that's not really in, informative do you know like that makes sense like it is a process of assimilation but just going like this is what it is so just go do that is really just really unsatisfactory to me so I really want to try and build a framework to take someone from I have no knowledge of vowel harmony and give them a step by step process to implement a basic harmony system Um so uh, that's that's why I think it's unoriginal because all I'm doing is kind of laying out a step-by-step process but not like reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You said something about umlauts. Um, can, what, what did you mean by umlaut here? Because it seemed like it was a different meaning than the diacritic. Yeah, sure. So umlaut is the... Well, specifically, the, the thing I talked about in the video is called the Germanic umlaut. And that is definitionally where a high uh, vowel, possibly also a palatal approximant, I can't remember specifically in the case of Germanic umlaut, but a, a, nonetheless, definitely a high vowel causes vowels in the previous syllable to front and or raise. That's why in German, hence why it's called a Germanic umlaut, you have like singular bruder, brother, uh, but plural bruder. Because back in the day, there would have been something there, some high vowel there, that triggered U to go to U, and then that, that trigger was lost. And that's why you have Bruda versus, uh, versus Bruda. And, okay. th- and th- I think that's why we have foot versus feet as well, I think. Uh, lo- oh, okay. Lo- loads of those forms are done via umlaut. And again, umlaut is where something in a... In a, in a in a uh, rightward syllable causes something in a more leftward syllable to to front and or raise. Gotcha. And I, I guess it's related to the diacritic because I, at least as far as I'm aware in German, uh, those diacritics mark kind of where those changes have occurred. Again, sure. the example being Bruda and uh, Bruda. Uh, that makes sense. Um... I think I think a better term for it though is, uh, what well, the term I think that we should use more of uh, is eye mutation. Because then you don't get confused with the diacritic mark. Yeah. Um, I think that is all of my points. Wow. Okay, cool. Let me bait through my points here. Um, so a couple of things that came up in comments. These will all be put into a formal follow-up video. But while we're here, uh, people asked about bidirectionality. Um, can harmony spread in both directions? Yes, it can spread in both directions. If you have prefixes and suffixes in a language, they can all be in harmony. Um this is another case why I recommend root con- root control because you just have you have a root that's all in harmony and then it just spreads all over the place and it's grand. Um, people also ask like you talked a lot about the umlaut thing, but how else can you create harmony? And it's literally a case of you just find sound changes that enforce harmony. So if you need to front stuff, you need to go look for fronting sound changes. If you need to back stuff, you need to go look for backing sound changes. Uh, plus ATR, minus ATR, round, unround, high, low, etc. Um, I recommend checking out the Index Diachronica, which has a big a big old list of sound changes. And I'll also leave a link to a book that you can purchase that goes through various sound changes you can do. And you just want to target ones that enforce the harmony. Um, is my answer to that. Uh, other people pointed out that, hey, your uvular, pharyngeal, glottal, those back consonants, they back vowels. 
So then do I take it that the front consonants, like your bilabials, do they front vowels? And the answer to that is no. Uh, because the front vowel, the front consonants, uh, at least the very front consonants, don't do anything with the tongue. Like, yeah. buh is just lips. Um, if you want to use consonants to front things, uh, the palatal approximant is great, yuh. Because uh, yuh functions a lot like e, and you can use that to front stuff. Um, so those are, that's where you're, you're going to get that. Um, maybe, yeah. I, I could see maybe like, was it linguadental consonants? Possibly leading to front vowels I mean it, log- it logically makes sense to me but I have never seen that they probably yeah. exist I mean look languages are crazy like it's going to be somewhere it nearly always is somewhere um, but also labiodental um, consonants are like extremely rare um, they don't crop up very often at least not like phonemically um, like you know uh, we do it you and I Bill but like you know we are not the norm here or probably me more than you, Bill, because you have a slightly different accent. Um, you don't tend to, to, to deez that and those deez as much as I do. No. No. Um, no. But you do tend to where, which, and when more than I do. There is a H in the word, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but by that rationale, I should be saying climb. <laughs> I'm not going to say English is consistent, but there is a H in that word. <laughs> Weather, weather, <laughs> weather. Yeah, weather. Yeah, it's great. It's clearly weather, but that's okay, Bill. It's, it's not. Look, it's, it's, this, no. it's totally okay that you speak Hiberno English wrong. That's okay, Bill. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> I speak Hiberno English beautifully. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, you do, you do. I'm not just for the record, joke, folks. Not being uh, prescriptive here. Uh, Bill, both Bill and I are entirely correct. Just one of us is more correct. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then my final point was to talk about nasal harmony and rhotic harmony, um, but which you've already uh, covered in your first point. Uh, and the, the very, very last point is a meta point. This is going to sound like a sob story, but I just, you know, you're my mate and we'll, we'll, we'll just talk through it. Um, I am disappointed by this video. Really? Uh, yeah, I am disappointed. Uh, and again, this is going to sound a bit needy and I don't mean it like this. I am disappointed in the reaction to the video because to my mind, this is the, I think this is the best video I've ever made because very often my videos, they kind of take established knowledge and just present it again in a way that I hopefully think is clear. Um, but it's kind of rare when I like create a system um, of doing a thing. And in this case, like I created... I created a sim- very simple system that literally solved the problem that past Edgar was having. Um, like, I I put something, I think, new into the world or newish into the world. And I was mm-hmm. real stoked about it. And it's kind of like, it's the best thing I've ever made. Like, I think people are going to really like this and really think it's useful and all this. And then the video landed and it kind of has received, like, a meh. Uh, sort of response to it like the the metrics are kind of like it's okay it's not terrible it's not great it's just a very run-of-the-mill performance which kind of uh, a little bit it kind of broke my heart a little bit this morning when I logged on and checked analytics and I was like crap I was so I so thought that this would kind of like you know really hit home uh but clearly i've just like misjudged it something serious so it, this this month is weird because i think again i think it's the best thing i've done um uh 
certainly in a long long time possibly ever and but they're just there seems to be a disconnect with what I think is needed in this foul harmony space and what others do as well. So I'm a little bit, I've been a little bit down this morning because of that. There was a high... I'm sorry, man. A, no, that's okay. But sure, this comes with terror. You can't always make stuff that's good. And just because I think a thing is good doesn't mean that others will too. And that's just mm. part of, like, that's just life. You need to just, you know, roll with it, like. And I mean, like, of all the complaints to have, you know, like... Not a, I don't think enough people watch my video is <laughs> is a minimal complaint in life and that's why I'm I'm conscious about coming across as being like um needy or as in like you know oh, please feel sorry for Edgar here like I don't think that's the case at all it's mm-hmm. just me talking about the sort of meta behind the scenes sort of feelings towards um what we do you know yeah um so yeah it was a weird one very strange one and I'm sure in another day or two I'm, I'll be like I'll be fine and stuff but uh I have, yeah, I've never had the sort of like, like incredible excitement and then like a deep low <laughs> after I, I, after publishing. I, I think it's um I think it's good to to for for YouTubers to to be able to express stuff like that and and just be kind of regular and chill about it and not 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 have it seen as being needy or entitled or complaining or whatever. Um, no, I, I I like I like seeing that that honesty um in reaction to their 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 work um like do, do you watch Twelve Ton at all? I do, yes. Yeah, so Corey does a lot of that. Corey, well, not a lot, but it's like, I've seen Corey talk about it and, and and refer to it, and they say you know stuff about their their metrics or stuff about the the reaction to their videos and that, and it's never come across to me as being needy or entitled or anything but you know i think it's kind of a probably a healthy thing to be able to express and i think audiences should be able to receive it healthily as well and not see it as a slight or not see it as a as a a complaint yeah yeah because definitely because if you don't talk about those things or you just keep kind of like negative feelings bottled up Mm. um which is which is no good i I will say though like you know there is a good many youtubers i've stumbled across who um whose metrics take a dip or their performance isn't doing what they think it should be doing who kind of do cross the line into sort of like um like view begging uh, I yeah, would put yeah. It. um which i think is just i i just think that's really terrible because that like because that creates an environment where people are not as open to hearing people talk about their feelings with regards to their work you know kind of mm. like oh you're just view begging um like all these other people where and whereas like, that's not always the case um like the one the one thing i one thing i hate is where like it's explicitly said in videos where it's like you know if this um if this video does really well i'll like continue making this stuff it's kind of like you hold your content ransom yeah uh, I hate, I, I hate that. It's just like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm naive and stuff, but I kind of feel like, you know, YouTubers should make content because they really like the thing they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then if no one watches it, like, you know, that's not great in terms of making a living, but like, who cares? Because the, the driving force should be just make stuff you want to be out there. Um, but the idea of kind of like, I don't know, like monetizing it that way in a sort of ransomware sort of thing is, I, I really, <laughs> I really don't like it. I really don't like that sort of thing. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's that's totally fair. And and there is there is definitely, what, what I'm saying doesn't preclude the, the fact that complaining and being toxic about that, that kind of thing doesn't, does exist. Because it definitely does. Um, yeah, 
exactly and, and yeah and there is there is people there are content creators who are entitled or feel entitled to like a gajillion views every time they drop a video which is obviously i think nonsense um but yeah sometimes things don't work out as you think they will and that's cool and yeah. it's also cool to be able to sit around with, with, with your best friend bill mcgrath and just say it didn't work bill and it makes me a little bit sad <laughs> And that's fine. Um, and I'm sure at some stage, you know, I'll, I'll make another video that I think is just a video that is like quite prosaic and run of the mill and it just like, it explodes and it's like, huh, why did that happen? <laughs> you just don't know. It's a complicated thing. And uh, uh, let me use this opportunity again to thank patrons because this is the sort of thing where um, direct support is so helpful because like if, if I were reliant on the advertising revenue to make a living here like this sort of thing would literally send me into a bit of a depression uh, because I'd be like you know my job is you know uh, threatened and if the next video also doesn't do well like that's really bad for the channel and ad revenue and I'll have to quit and all this sort of jazz having you know long-term supporters who just are like yeah if this video gets no views doesn't matter you're still going to get my one or two dollars a month and you just make stuff that you think needs to be made like that that level of security man is just it's so yeah. good and it's the only reason i'm not completely miserable right now which is just, it's just so thank you so much uh to the patrons um in particular and like people who buy merch or anything that is like a direct contribution uh to me and us it just yeah that stability is just a godsend in terms of mental health it's yeah it's just crazy mm -hmm. so that's that um green room let's do it i have two quick psas and then i want to complain about stuff uh to bill here folks um uh, quick psa is uh artifacts in book club corner because of neglect on my part is being shoved to next month we'll read axioms end or we'll review axiom x axioms end next month i've just been in the uh, in the quagmire of linguistic literature over the past while and just had no real interest in reading uh, axioms end uh, given that so but next month we'll review it um the other psa is just uh, to try and keep the show a little bit shorter because i'm kind of preferring these hour and a half ish shows um we received uh, an entry into bank of artifexia via gideon uh, gideon your letter has been received uh with great love uh, and you will be on the show next month if if that's okay um uh, with you um thank you for your your gandan shillings we'll go through it properly next month um yeah psa is done 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 cool so the uh the things i want to talk about real quick is uh, i want to uh, complain slash muse about the eurovision and the last kingdom you up for okay. that bill um, I didn't watch the Eurovision, and I haven't watched the Last Kingdom. But let's let's do it. I, guess. Uh, I think these are general points. Um, yeah, you don't need to have watched these things, uh, but they're just general things. Um, let's start with the Last Kingdom because it's the one that's most directly related to world building and conlang. The Eurovision one is just not related to world building conlang whatsoever. Um, just me talking to my friend, folks. Um, Last Kingdom, right? So uh, this is a show we talked about it previously uh, in the, earlier in the episode. Uh, it's a show set in like Saxon Day in England in I think about the eight hundreds AD. Um, yeah, I think it's eight hundreds. And uh, yeah, I I think it's it's because I was talking to someone recently who who had watched it recently, and it's set like a little bit after the the great dane army so kind of late 800s 
Yeah, sure. Um, and it is... It's really, the, the Great Heathen Army, rather. The Great Heathen Army. It is a really good show. I really enjoy it. I think it's just... I think it's, it's really fun. Um, but the thing that irks me, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, Bill, is that um, there is... I've titled it in the show notes here, Rage Against uh, Anachronistic RP. Everyone in the show who's not a heathen, a Dane, um, speaks in RP. And... Like, usually I'm okay with that most contexts, but, like, this is so far back in the past that it just completely sucks me out of it to have, like, you know, the King of Wessex, the Saxon King of Wessex, speaking the Queen's English. It's just, it's so weird. Um, And it's really, it's really jarring. So I began thinking about, like, couldn't they, because, like, the world seems to have become okay with having conlangs on shows like the witcher david j peterson is everywhere uh, the witcher has conlangs obviously game of thrones has a number of conlangs lord of the rings uh what's the, the expanse the, that's the one the expanse the, the proliferation of conlangs is just everywhere and audience seem okay with this listening to like quote-unquote nonsense words with subtitles that seems to be a thing that works um in this case though i suspect if you were to just get someone to kind of uh, elaborate on old English or whatever the English would have been spoken back in the day and just put subtitles everywhere. I think that would probably not work in this case because people would, I think a lay audience would look at it and be all like, but this is set in England. Why are there subtitles? Why are they talking like this? There might be a bit of dissonance there because I'm not sure how aware the regular pers- a regular person is, a non-linguistics nerd, about how radically english has changed over the centuries mm-hmm. um and that could be jarring but so i began thinking about like maybe they could get some conlanger on board to kind of create like an old like a saxon dialect like if you took a saxon person uh with the phonological inventory they are used to using and place them in the modern world and answer and answer the question how might they pronounce modern english so keep all the grammar of modern english uh intact and everything but just use the phonological inventory of old english speakers how would that work and i I, i'm conflicted as to whether or not this would actually work for the show um what are your thoughts bill i mean it has to it has to communicate other things than just um, the dialect has to communicate other things than just the words themselves it communicates um, what we are supposed to assume about class and what we are supposed to assume about about yeah. kind of social roles like that um, so I, I I don't like the 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 anachronistic uh, RP and the kind of it's a really common thing everyone in the past had English accents everyone in the future has American accents sure um, uh, it is an annoying thing but it's a difficult one to solve it's a thorny problem to solve um, I mean I don't think I don't think there's any like yeah we have we have conlangs in Game of Thrones and in The Expanse and that but we don't I can't think of any any property that has long periods of of subtitled uh, sure. dialogue in in a conlang, yeah. Um, but but that's why I think that not going down the just translate everything into old English as best as you can route is a good idea. Go into yeah. the, go into dialect idea, like make them be modern speakers, but 
just or yeah make them be speakers of modern english but just with the twang of an of a saxon which i think yeah. sh- should be doable because yeah. because i mean that's what's occurring with the the danish uh characters because like the lead character is a german native speaker as far as i'm aware and like he obviously speaks english with a german twang and that kind of like conveys the idea of he is like from not from england he is other yeah um so i totally think you could put on the old English vowels everywhere and it would work. Now, I floated this idea on the Discord and I think the the main pushback I got, and I think it's a valid one, is that regular audiences would listen to it and laugh at the sounds. Mm-hmm. Like, they would think that people sound stupid and silly. Because um, I think the um, the U sound, the German uh, U umlaut is present in the language that would have been spoken at that time. I'm sorry, folks, I like, don't actually know the name of what brand of English was spoken then. Um, but I think if you were to start putting U's everywhere, it'll kind of sound a bit like a Swedish chef is speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, to have like your man, Albert, or what's his name, Albert? The, the king, I can't remember his name. The, Alfred. The, Alfred. Alfred, the king of Wessex, speak like the Swedish chef would probably make a lay audience giggle and think the show was a load of nonsense whereas you know from a linguistics nerd I think it would be dope and I would love to see that but it just probably wouldn't track very well with the general uh, general audiences which is a shame because like, I think that, it, that leads me to believe there's no solution here like you kind of just have to continue with the trope of everyone in the past speaks RP and that's it yeah. or everyone who's a king and noble person in the past speaks RP and the rest of them sound like they're from Cornwall yeah, I mean, what what did so he's he was based in Winchester. He based What's in Winchester. the actual accent like of of Winchester? Maybe just use the contemporary regular accents. Maybe that is RP. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Winchester. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's like it's southern, but it's close. It's like in the middle. It's bang in the middle. I don't know. Bang in the middle of what? A bang in the middle of like the bottom part of of England, according to. Wikipedia. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, like oh yeah, sorry, not bang in the middle of the entirety of what? The, yeah, no, it's it's not like up by Manchester. Like that's not the case, but it's bang in the middle of the X Y axis, um, or the X axis, should I say? Um, yeah, I don't actually know what's spoken, what sort of accent spoken there. But again, yeah, that plays in the problems of like the tropes we associate with noble people, like I, I, yeah, you know, the Birmingham accent. If if you know if a king spoke in the Birmingham accent, people would be all like, that's daft, which is terrible, but like. I think that's what people would think. Um, yeah. So RP is just around, and it just it annoys me. It, it just it annoys me because it's set so far in the past. Like I can I can swallow a bunch of RP in the sixteen hundreds. I can I can swallow that, but like I can't I can't swallow it when it's eight hundred AD. Like I can't. It's just it drives <laughs> it just drives me nuts. It's so far back and fast. It's crazy. And then like also like with all the the, the they like I mentioned earlier in the show they they put on the old English on screen. They flash up the old English names for places. And like mm-hmm. like they have like the old letters like the I, again I don't the th sound I don't know what that letter is called, um but like those are present. So you just like the orthography. Signals, oh, the, the thorn. The thorn. That's it. The orthography signals that this is. Like way, 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 way long ago, and then they all speak in perfect RP, and it's like mm. it just breaks my brain. The show's really good, though. Everyone should go check it out. Um, Uhtred of Bevenbird is a uh, is a wonderful Mary Sue. <laughs> I I have been meaning to watch it because you know I love me some some Vikings. 
I, I think you'd really enjoy it, Bill. I think you would. I think it's mm-hmm. it's a really good show, and it does a good job of balancing comedy with seriousness. And um, yeah, I think it's just it's just well crafted. Um, so that's that. That's uh, Rage Against the Anachronistic RP. Let's talk about Eurovision and me raging against the pastiche. Okay. So I was watching Eurovision yesterday, and it. I thought the quality of the show was in general a lot better than it usually is. Um, I thought there was a few like real banging tunes and some great comedy acts and I enjoyed it um, but Portugal right I'll link in the show notes to the song Portugal's entry really rubbed me up the wrong way um, and I want to complain about it. Uh, so the I really dislike Eurovision's propensity to just like create pastiches of established genres like nearly every year you have like oh this is the swing song and it's just like a workman like uh, reproduction of like generic swing or like this is the rock song and it's like a workman like uh, reproduction of like generic rock and i hate that because like like part of me wants to i want to feel the culture of all these cool places in their music you know and it's just this sort of uh, ubiquity of the hegemony of American culture has seeped its way into this and has been for a long time and it drives me up the wall and like I'm not saying that like I want Portugal to come out dress in folk clothing and sing a bunch of folk uh, Portuguese music like I'm not saying that at all but like what I am saying is like I would love if you're going to do like if Portugal does a what would you I don't even know how to describe the type of song they had like a sort of Guns and Roses e power ballad power rock ballad sort of thing right um if you're going to do that do it with a portuguese twist and i think a really good example here is inner city irish hip-hop is a really good example i think of how this is done really well because like hip-hop is obviously not an irish invention we're we're obviously taking an established uh, genre and just like you know taking it for ourselves here but like the uh, the performers of inner city irish hip-hop they bring a unique Irish perspective to that genre and create something new. Um, Do you mean like Gemma Dunleavy kind of stuff? I honestly can't name a single person. I just okay. have this general feeling of what... It's basically hip-hop with a thick Dublin accent. You know, that sort of yeah. that, that sort of vibe. And like they talk about, you know, Irish issues in their music. They don't perform with an American accent they perform in their native sort of um, dialect uh, they, they use Hiberno-Irish like they bring Irishness to this genre and create a new thing and it just mm. in the Eurovision like you just like the, again the Portuguese example if people go to show notes and click on it like there is nothing Portuguese about that and like yeah do your Guns N' Roses rock ballad but like bring something of Portugal to this like I want to sit and watch the Eurovision like and obviously be entertained by all the glitter and the colour and the and the sass and the voguing uh, like obviously all of that stuff but also I kind of want to be taken on a whistle stops tour of the various sounds and cultures of of all these countries and you don't get that if you have people who are just kind of like this is the new metal entry and it's just it's just cheap new metal and like this is the power ro- ballad entry and it's just real cheap unoriginal uh, a power ballad it just it drives me nuts like and mm. it's raging against the hegemony of American culture and raging against the cheap pastiche and I just <laughs> I just I just want more from it you know 
Um, so what you're saying is we should send kneecap to represent Ireland in the next Eurovision. I'm actually going to just Google this here. I'll put it in the show notes here. Uh, kneecap. Spelt like, you know, knee and cap. Yeah, like just one word, kneecap. 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 Uh, one word, kneecap. Here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know these. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I would... Kneecap, show notes, check it out. Uh, hip-hop sung, uh, performed in Irish. Um, the... I mean, I would love that. That would be great. But 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 I don't think you need to go that far. Like again, the the example of inner city hip hop, like it's 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 hip hop in English, but with an Irish accent. Like I think that's yeah. enough to just convey a sense of like this is a thing that has arisen from our culture. Um, yeah, that's just that, yeah. Th- that's an interesting thing to bring up. Um, because there there is there is a couple of of good Irish artists. Um, in hip hop, do you know Denise Chyla? No. Okay, she's from Limerick. She's really, really good. Um, really, really interesting lyrically. Uh, quite, quite, kind of a diverse range of sounds on, on her album. Um, and there's there's a lot of stuff kind of being done that I enjoy. But when I've, you know, admittedly my 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 knowledge is is fairly limited. It's it's not it's not a, a scene I'm I'm hugely knowledgeable on. Um, but when I do see it done live. Um, and in some some recordings I've heard, the sound is just really, really similar to UK grime. And I would like to see, like, in terms of beats, a more a more individual Irish sound be developed um, that was distinct yeah. both from, from hip-hop and grime. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, but in the context of Eurovision, having, like, Irish-UK grime, fine. Like, you know, you got to pick your battles here. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah it just yeah uh, just it just irks me um and and like and they never st- seem to strike i promise i'll shut up about this in a second but they never seem to strike a balance at all where it's kind of like it's either just we're going to do a pastiche or we're just going to do like horrifically cringy like techno folk um <laughs> and there's never a kind of like oh wow what's being presented here is an actual like kind of real fusion of styles like a real mix of cultures like because that's what makes it so that's why uk grime also i think is really interesting like, that sound is super interesting to me because it really is this like these two worlds coming together to produce a new thing um yeah portugal oh god damn it i, I will say final point on the eurovision and then we'll, we can wrap up um i uh, I haven't followed the Eurovision for many, many years. Um, so maybe this is a trend that's been occurring for a long time. Um, uh, but I'm only just becoming aware of it. Um, there seems to be a... A few years ago, it seemed that like everything was just like a techno anthem on Eurovision. Like everything was just four to the floor, lots of synths. That's it. Every entry mm-hmm. from every country. Um, but there appears to be more of a kind of move away from that now. Like I saw a lot of like slower songs, a lot of like, a lot of songs that like, I was like, this is not Eurovision material. Like these are kind of like song songs and not like just Eurovision stuff. Um, Belgium was a big example here. Links in the show notes if you want to go check it out. Um, like that's just not what I think Eurovision is like. So I think there's a cool movement away from like, okay, we've done the banging Euro techno for a long time, let's move away and become a little bit more nuanced about this. And I think that's a really cool development. 
And I think there's room for both. There's room for your big, you know, Eastern European techno anthem. And there's also room for like an entry like Belgium. And I think that's really dope. And I encourage it. And I look forward to seeing more of it. And never lose the glitter of Eurovision. It's important. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's that. Excellent. Uh, Show A on show. On Clar. On Clar. On Pud Pud Kraloch. Clark Galaire. Alice Clark. Alice Alice Clark. That's great. <laughs> oh man, man. Yeah, we 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 should we should do use that as a title for something, something hybrid hi, hiberno-germanic and call it Alice Clark. Alice Clark. I mean, now that we've said it a couple of times, we can actually use it for the title. And also, like literally we're about to stop recording, so like the people are going to be guessing the entire way through, listening, being like, why the hell is it called Alice Clark? That's nuts. And then we're just going to, literally, we're just going to cut off here, and then it's going to be a very kind of both satisfying and unsatisfying ending to the show. So are we not going to say Edgar out? Oh, no, I think we should. We actually should. It would be fun to just cut it dead, but I think we should probably. And in fact, cut, actually, cut it dead and then leave a little gap, and then we'll just both say Edgar out. So people will be thinking, oh, oh, it's over, and then it'll just be Edgar out. No, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Sorry, no, that would be hilarious, but what we actually should do is the actual good thing to do, like the right thing to do, and thank everyone. Because that is important. Oh, yeah. yeah that's like, important. thanking people that's is important. probably more important than a cheap joke. Uh, so let's do that. Um, folks, thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, thanks to uh, all the patrons who help make this a possibility. Um, and we will see you next week. Next the, the month. Cutting, cutting straight out and, 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 and not thanking people is more formally satisfying, but thanking people and politeness is important. So I agree. I can't um, believe it. Thanks everyone for listening. Week. I said next week, Bill. It's your I heard you. Say, I heard you say next week. I was. I was being the bigger man and, and choosing <laughs> choosing not to mock you for it. It's infectious. Uh, see you uh, next year, <laughs> folks. Uh, <laughs> until next time, Edgar, Edgar out. out.